Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello, my name is Grace, and today's scripture reading is from Psalm 32. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained in the summer seat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom, one of the uh, pastors here. I just say Tori is a rough act to follow. She does such a wonderful job leading us and singing every week, and so appreciate that. We're continuing our series this summer through the Psalms. If you remember, we're, we're tracing the theme of flourishing, and particularly the, the Hebrew word ashray which means that you are observed as somebody who has been blessed by God. People can look at you and see that. Well, what, is, what does that mean? What does ashray mean? What, is, what does it mean to be blessed by God? It means to be complete spiritually. It means to be healthy spiritually. Somebody who is enjoying the peace of God, the joy of God. It's not just the absence of pain and suffering and trial. It, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It has to do with the health of our heart, our soul before God. There are a lot of lies that Parker talked about last week. Not, not that Parker' message was lies. He, he addressed a lot of lies that society has to tell us what flourishing is. And, um, you know, if, if I could just achieve these things, I would be flourishing. And they're lies. They overpromise and they underdeliver. So we know that true flourishing is, is somebody who is centered in God and their relationship with God is close and it's right and it's joyful and it's peaceful and it's solid. So ashray means that somebody can look at your life and say, that person looks like that. I see that they're going through life and they're running into difficulties of life, but I can see that they are blessed by God. And so... As Parker said, this is going to be a convicting message, okay? Let's just say that up front. It's been 
beating on me the whole time I've been preparing, and so it's your turn. So the question is, as somebody outside looks at your life, would they say that your life exudes ashray? They say, this person is going through the difficulties of life, but they have been blessed by God because they are handling it with grace and joy and peace. Do you think that that's what somebody would say about your life? If so, your life is bringing glory to God. But if you would say, you know, I'm really struggling and failing and falling apart and life is just beating me up and I'm distraught and I'm, I don't think somebody would look at my life and say there's a person whose life is characterized by a shrey then just the opposite is true. We're, we're not bringing glory to God in that instance, but disgrace. And so as we look at this psalm, Psalm 32 this morning, we want to consider where do we stand as it relates to this, this flourishing. And Psalm 32 is going to take us from a different angle because we know that Parker in Psalm 1 had the great psalm, Right? the tree planted by the living water and being filled with and meditating on God and God's word. That's very encouraging and challenging to us. And then last week we talked about in Psalm 2, surrendering to the sovereignty and the authority of God in all of the aspects of our life. And we want to do that. And that, that is relational. That's comforting. That's something we want to do. Today, I get to talk about sin. And you go, well, how in the world do you connect sin and flourishing? It doesn't seem like they really go together. And yet, what we're going to see today is that they very much do go together. As a matter of fact, if we don't deal with sin, there is no flourishing. This may be one of the most important parts of us dealing with this aspect of flourishing in our life because it's what God has for us. So, as I said, Psalm 32 is one of the penitent psalms. There are seven. You can Google them and and go through them, and, and I suggest that you do. But penitence is just a state of being, this is a dictionary definition. Penitence is a state of being penitent, which seems redundant. Why do you use a form of the word to define the word? It doesn't make sense. But it means regret for one's wrongdoing or sinning, contrition, repentance. All right? That's what penitence means. So as we turn into or open your Bibles to Psalm 32, we're going to see four truths this morning. Four truths that lead us to human flourishing. Those four truths are that flourishing is God's plan for humans. The second truth is sin prevents human flourishing. The third truth is God's Forgiveness restores human flourishing. And the fourth truth is flourishing can be your normal state. May seem unlikely or impossible, but it's true. Okay? So hang with me on that one. So the first truth is flourishing is God's plan for humans. You know, this isn't something we came up with. It's not something we deserve. It's always been God's plan that we flourish 
in our relationship with him. We see this in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32, where he says, How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. We could read that again. Joyful is ashrei. How ashrei is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Verse 2 says, How joyful, how ashrei is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. God's plan is that we be in a perfect relationship with him. This was from the beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis. If you look at Genesis 3.8, you say, well, Genesis chapter 3 is primarily known for what? The fall. That's where the big fall happened. But if you look at verse 8 in Genesis chapter 3, this is where it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. That gave us a little window into what was supposed to be going on in the garden, what God had created it to be. God wanted to have this relationship with the man and the woman. He came to the garden so that they could have communion together and they could speak together and they could be close and they could be completely transparent. And it was awesome and it is awesome. And that was God's design. That's what God wants. That's flourishing when we as humans can have a relationship like that with God. That was God's plan from the beginning. God wants us to flourish. So just let that sink in. This isn't something that is impossible. This isn't something that we created. This isn't something to frustrate us. This is a a beautiful thing that God has created us for. We have a lot of creeds and things in the church, in church history. One of them is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it states that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. We are to have that kind of a relationship with God where he's always on our mind. He's always in our thoughts. A closeness, a transparency. That's what God has intended for us. And the purpose of human flourishing is twofold. First of all, it's for our good. It's not good for us to be like this with God. It doesn't go well, right? We don't feel good. Things don't go well. We get punished. It's it's a bad thing. So flourishing and being in the right relationship with God is for our good, but it's also for God's glory. God created us for this model, for this life, so that we could reflect back to him his glory. And that is what is right. So yeah, it makes my life better, but you know what makes my life even better is when my life reflects back to God his glory. And so... This idea of human flourishing is for our good, but it's also for God's glory. It is God's plan, and it is a beautiful plan. So the first truth is that flourishing is God's plan for humans. The second truth that we're going to look at this morning is that sin prevents human flourishing. And this is in verses 3 and 4. It says, when I, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle. 
from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Never more (laughs) appropriate week than this, right? We know what it's like to have your energy drained because of the summer heat. And that's what uh, David is saying here, the psalmist, about the, the heavy hand of God upon him. Sin is exhausting. Can we agree with that? Sin is exhausting. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of an old song. I'm sorry, I just, I, I love music. And uh, Bob Seeger had a song back in the day, Against the Wind. And it's a song that talks about this guy that goes from being a young man to an old man, always running against the wind, broken relationships, piling up debt, all of this stuff. He gets to be an old man. He says, I'm still running against the wind. Do you ever feel that way in your life, that you're running against the wind, that everything is harder than it needs to be and all of that? That is not God's plan. That is not what God has for us. That is not what he intended. So as we look here and we think about what sin is in in, uh, Psalm 32, there are two words that it's talking about. The first one is in verse 1 where he talks about whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression here is the word pasha. Pasha is a rebellious self-assertion, that kind of sin. It has to do with broken relationships. Uh, If you're talking about countries that have treaties, a broken treaty, that kind of brokenness. But it it is the result of rebellious self-assertion. Uh, St. Augustine wrote in his book, The Confessions, about a story of his college buddies and him uh, being told that you can't go to the peach orchard. Stay away from the peach orchard. Don't go in there. Leave it alone. You can go all over campus. Stay away from the peach orchard. So, of course, what do college guys do? One night, they go over to the peach orchard, they take a bunch of peaches, and they go back to the rooms, and they've got their stash of all that, And he's saying, I don't even like peaches. I have no interest in peaches. I never would have ever thought about the orchard of peaches because I don't like peaches. Now here I'm sitting with a room full of peaches. And why did I do that? Because I was told I can't do that. And there's something inside of us that says, you can't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it drove him to go steal something he didn't even want. That's a rebellious self-assertion. And if you're a parent or if you've ever been a two to five-year-old, you know what it is when a little child starts to discover agency. I have choices in life. When my parent tells me that I'm supposed to do something, I can do something else. If they tell me not to do something, I could go do that. And, and it's like the little light goes on, and all of a sudden this sweet little darling child that can't do anything becomes this little management issue that you've got to deal with. And, and you could just watch it. When it's, it, it. It's kind of amusing until you're in the midst of it, but that's rebellious self-assertion. The other word that's used here in, uh, in verse 1 is about um, sins, whose sins is, whose sin is covered. The word sin there is hata, and that is to miss the mark. 
to miss the mark. And this, this isn't uh, necessarily a willful thing, but it's nonetheless, it's sin, missing the mark. It, I don't know. Does anybody golf? Has anybody ever golfed? Do you know anything about golf? Has anybody watched golf? Golf is an amazing game. It's a lot easier to watch. You watch golf on TV, and it's just beautiful, isn't it? They've got the course, they've got the drone shots, and you can watch the ball as they hit it, and it goes exactly where it's supposed to go, and it's just amazing. And then you go out and you play the game. And for some reason, it doesn't work out that way. You've got the ball, you've got the club just like the pros, and yet you hit it instead of going where it's supposed to go, it goes this way. And that's your whole day. But then there's the one shot that you hit, and it's amazing. It's usually a drive. And it goes straight down the fairway, exactly where you wanted to go. And you start to think, hey, I could do this thing. And that's what you call the, the bring you back shot. And so you come back and you keep trying. But golf is mainly missing the mark most of the time. And it's very frustrating. And people spend all kinds of money and all kinds of time to play this thing. But they're trying, but they keep missing the mark. You know, and in our lives, we do that. We keep trying, but sometimes we just miss the mark. You know, we, we all have standards of what we think the really bad sins are, right? Murder, stealing, lying. You, you, you complete your list of what the bad sins are. And then we have those other sins that are the I'm working on them sins. They're a part of my life, but I'm, I'm working on them, whatever that means, you know, we, we, we start making excuses. We give ourselves a pass. We say, well, nobody could handle the circumstances that I'm in as, as well as I am, so I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Or My life is harder than anybody else's life. Everybody around me has an easier life than me. My life is hard, so, you know, give me a break. Or this season that I'm in, you know, maybe I'm finishing up a master's degree or I'm, I'm, I'm getting a promotion work and I have extra. I've got all this stuff going on and because of the situation of my life, you know, you, you can't expect me to be perfect. And so we make all these excuses for ourselves and we start believing those lies. I, I was also reminded of a, a venerable theologian from days gone by, actually is a feathered theologian, Daffy Duck. I don't know if you've heard of Daffy Duck, the theologian, but he put it uh, when he was about to be trounced by the abominable snow rabbit and beaten to a pulp, Daffy Duck said, I'm not like most people. Pain hurts me. He thought he was different. It's silly. Pain hurts everybody, but in his mind, he had justified what he was doing. He's, I'm different than most people. I'm not like you. I'm better than you. There's, there's a, a YouTube channel called Fridays with Frank. It is uh, from the Pinal County uh, Sheriff's Office in Arizona. And they ride along with the traffic enforcement unit, and it is hysterical. This, this deputy that they follow around has a real personality, and he pulls up and he talks to people. He says, do you know why I stopped you? And they say, you know, I have no idea why you stopped me. And then he asks for their driver's license, and they give him a, a, 
uh, an ID. He says, well, this isn't a driver's license. Well, I don't have one. He says, well, then why are you driving? Well, because I wanted to go somewhere. Everybody has a reason for what they're doing. They think the rules don't apply to them. But this is me. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person, and the rules don't apply to me. So you need to give me a break. And we tend to think that way of ourselves. And what we do is we get soft on sin, don't we? It's okay. I'm a good person. I'm doing the best I can. I'm in a tough circumstance. What are the sins that we struggle with? Well, I just came up with a list of a few just to sort of prime the pump. Jealousy and envy. Right up at the top in our culture with the marketing industry the way it is, always telling you that you need more, you need better, you need to upgrade, you deserve this, everybody else has this, you're a chump if you don't. That's always in our face. Pride. Pride is another thing that we struggle with so much. There's such a competitive world that's out there. And we, we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to each other and we think that we're better. Selfish ambition. This is a sneaky one because we go out and we do good things. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And the reality is that I hope that so-and-so sees me do this or I can get credit on my taxes for doing this or you know, I'm going to you know, be seen by my company a certain way if I do this. And the reality is even though I'm doing good things, I'm doing them with a selfish ambition because of what it does for me even though it looks altruistic. Gossip. Now, obviously, doesn't apply to anybody in this room, right? That we would gossip about somebody and talk about them in a way that we would never talk to them for the reason of making them look badly and to make ourselves look better. And then murmuring. Murmuring is one of the under-the-radar things that we don't look at a lot. Murmuring is a subdued or private expression of discontent or dissatisfaction. Not being happy or content with your situation. You think, well, murmuring, that doesn't sound like that big a deal, right? It's not on my top ten. But listen, in the book of Jude, and Jude is the little book before the book of Revelation at the end of your Bible, and it just has one chapter. And in verses 14 through 19, he says, Look, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Are you getting the theme here? These are ungodly things. I mean, he said it over and over and over again. So who are these people and what are these ungodly things that he's so concerned about? Well, the first thing that he says in verse 16 is these people are discontented grumblers. The word there is murmurers. Wow. If I was thinking about God coming back with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on people. Murmurers wouldn't have been the first one that I would be going after. Maybe that's because I don't understand sin the way that God understands sin. Murmuring is a serious sin that we need to get rid of. 
not murder, it's not blasphemy, it's not perversion, it's not immorality. Those are the ones that we think of, but it's deadly sin. So you're starting to sit there, right? And you're starting to think about your life. And you're starting to think, what is the sin that I've become comfortable with that's in my life? That I've given myself a pass over that I know is not right. The thing that we need to understand is that that sin prevents us from flourishing. We saw that it said because of his sin, the hand of God was heavy upon him. That's not flourishing. (laughs) When you're living a life with unrepentant sin and you have the, the disciplining hand of God heavy upon you, that is not flourishing. Sin prevents us from flourishing. The third truth, God's forgiveness restores flourishing in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, sin is exhausting, but forgiveness is life-giving. You don't have to stay in the exhaustion of your sin and the frustration of your sin because forgiveness is at hand. Matthew chapter 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can see that the yoke And the bondage of sin is heavy and wearisome, burdensome, and exhausting. And what Jesus is saying is, you can give that over to me, and I can give you my yoke. What is my yoke? To love God and to love others. That is not a burden. That is a blessing. That is not heavy. That is light. We can exchange the struggles that we have with sin, and give them all over to him. And he gives us his righteousness. So how how does that happen? How does that happen? It's called confession. So what is true liberating? I'm using some, some Keller language, Tim Keller language here. What does true liberating confession look like? Well, Tim says uh, there are a couple things that true liberating confession is not. First of all, true liberating confession is not self-pity. We're going to see down in verse 9 where uh, David talks about the horse and the mule being driven by bit and bridle. You know, they have to be strong-armed until they submit. They, they obey by force. And self-pity is somebody who's living in sin until the consequences get so great that they finally tap out and say, okay, 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 all right, I shouldn't have done that, I'm a horrible person, I'm terrible, but the consequences have gotten so great that, that I, okay, I'll stop it, whatever, I'm sorry. And that's, that's feeling sorry for yourself because the consequences are, are more than you ever bargained for. The reality of that, though, is that there's no change of heart. Once the consequences go away, you're right back at it. 
You know people, you've seen people, you've been that person that has been contrite and apologized and did all those things to get the consequences out of the way so that you could get on with your life. That is not true liberating confession. Also, what is not true liberating confession is self-flagellation. You know, beating up on yourself over your sin. This is primarily the kind of person who wants to fix things. They want to earn forgiveness. They want to pay for their own sin. What do we got to do to make this right? And let's get this all figured out. And yep, I was wrong. I didn't do that. What do we got? So that again, like the self-pity, once the consequences are in the rearview mirror, because there's no heart change, the life doesn't change and it keeps on going forward. And the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats because there's been no change of heart. So then the question is, what does true liberating confession look like? Because none of us want to get in that cycle, do we? Well, it starts with confessing, first of all, to God. In verse 2, it said, with no deceit. He had confessed with no deceit in his heart. Confession has to be honest. God, I did this because I wanted to do this, and I wanted to hurt this person, and my goal was to do this, and I was led by lies, and I let myself believe something that wasn't true, and I didn't care what you thought, and I didn't care what they thought. I blew it. There's not holding anything back. True liberating confession starts with honesty. Honesty with yourself about what happened and then confessing that honestly and openly to God. Secondly, we saw in verses 3 and 4 that to confess is to fully understand the devastation of your sin. You know, in 3 and 4 is talking about the heavy hand of God on the exhausting. You know, you understand that sin is devastating. You're not minimizing it in any way. You're looking square at the devastation saying, I caused that because of my choices. I own that. I'm not minimizing what I did. And you're taking that devastation and you're handing that over to God. And then to really uncover behavior in verse 5, the first thing we have to do is to stop blame shifting. That's easy. That's normal for us, right? You know, well, if my parents hadn't taught me this way, I wouldn't have been thinking that way. Or if my spouse hadn't have done that, I never would have been in this way. Or if my company hadn't have forced us to do this, I... You can see, we do it all the time. There is blame shifting that happens a lot. And just stop it, in the words of Bob Newhart. Just stop it and own it. It's not anybody else's fault. It's your fault. You made the choice. You need to just own that before God. can't define it away. We can't say my circumstances. I've just been in a bad season of life. I got and explain it away. That doesn't do it. God isn't buying it. He knows what happened. It's easy to get cynical too. 
and say, well, I don't know why you're making such a big deal about this. Half the people in the church are doing the very same thing. Why should I feel bad about it? Because it's sin. Because it's sin. And we can't get cynical about our sin. Whether it's Pasha and it's a rebellious self-assertion or it's Hatah just missing the mark, it is sin. So we need to confess that sin openly, honestly to God for what it is in complete transparency before God. That is a liberating experience. Because if you confess half of it, you don't feel any better. If you confess three quarters of it, you don't feel any better. But when you confess it all, it is liberating. So we confess to God, but then we also are commanded in the word to confess to others. We see that in Matthew 5 and James 5. We're not going to turn there this morning, but in both of those passages, it says we are to confess our sins one to another. And that's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, for accountability. As we're open with each other about the things that we're struggling with, we can help each other. But more importantly, if I lie to you and I confess that to God, but I don't confess that to you, then we have brokenness in our relationship. You are acting on information that isn't true, that's a lie. And I am manipulating our relationship because I control the lie. And that does not bring honor to God. God wants us to have an open relationship with our brothers and sisters. And if we have sinned against each other, there needs to be confession between us. So we need to be open about our sin to our brothers and sisters so they can help us. But we need to be honest with our brothers and sisters and confess our sins to one another so that we can have the relationships that God intended for us to have here in the body. When we truly confess, God has told us that he will and does forgive us. You know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do you know that when you go to God and you ask him for forgiveness, if he didn't forgive you, that would be an injustice? Because your sins have already been paid for by Jesus. It would be unjust for you to have to pay for him too. When you come to God and you confess your sin, he is just to forgive you because that is the right thing to do. Now, moving to the fourth truth. Flourishing can be your normal state. And that's what we see in verses 6 through 11. The first few verses there in 6 and 7 is David's encouragement where David said... Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. David is the voice of experience here, right? David is the one who messed up a lot. And through that, he he has come to understand that what is important is that when you do mess up, that you pray immediately. Don't wait. Because nothing good is going to come out of waiting. When you sin, pray immediately. The result of that, then, he says, is the great floodwaters come, they will not reach you. He says of God, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. That is the payoff of having that close relationship with God. Then the Lord's instruction, verses 8 through 11, says, I will instruct you and show you the way that you should go. 
With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like the horse and the mule without understanding. They must be controlled with a bit and bridle or else they will not come near. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Now, verse 11 is really important. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Regardless of the circumstances of life, good, bad, easy, hard, whatever, we are to shout with joy to the Lord. I remember when I was in, in high school, I bailed a lot of hay, and I was bailing hay for a farmer, and his son was stacking it up in the barn, and it was his first time, and he did do a very good job, and we got all the way to the top, and all of the hay bales fell over, and all those little bales of hay busted, and it was just a mess. And this farmer, who was this really quiet guy, but he loved the Lord. He looked at that, he looked in there, he looked out at me, he goes, hallelujah, let's go have lunch. His response was to shout with joy to the Lord. Was it cynical? Was it whatever? You know, he is a guy who evidenced to me time and time again that even when things were hard, he praised the Lord. I want that to be true of my life. And when it's not, I need to confess that to God immediately, joyfully, and I need to constantly, continually do that. I want to break the cycle, the cycle that keeps me from being in that relationship with God. Here are some ways to do that. By reading his word and filling my mind and filling my life with his word and his truth and memorizing scripture. Regular prayer both of worship and of confession. Regular worship, both private and public, or public and private. Serving others, doing what Jesus did, giving generously, considering the needs of others is more important than my own. Actually doing that. The doing of that. That practice of considering the needs of others is more important than my own. That is transformative. Submitting your schedule to his every day. The result of living out these things, you will start to see that you start to hate the sin and not yourself. You start to hate the sin more than the consequences. And you start to hate the sin because it grieves the one who liberated you. You start to hate what God hates. That's where we want to be. And when we get there, then the things of this life become strangely dim. Those things that had so much power over us, all of a sudden don't anymore. And that, that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, I was thinking about that this week. It was written by a gal back in 1922 who was inspired by a, a, a poem written by this missionary. This missionary's name was Lilius, I think that's how you say it, Trotter. And she was from England. She was an artist. She was a tremendously gifted artist. And she was just starting a career. And some very influential people in, in art had taken notice. They wanted to invest in her because they thought that the payoff would be tremendous because of her talent. But while she was in the midst of building this career, she just felt this, this pull of God to minister to uh, women in London that were caught up in prostitution. So every night... Late at night, she would go out by herself 
and she would seek to minister to these women. And, and she just felt like that was what God wanted her to do. But then she also started to feel a pull to minister to the unreached people groups, particularly in Africa. And so she wanted to pursue a mission career, but none of the mission agencies would pay for it. Nobody supported it. And she went ahead and did it anyway. And she went on her own. It says she responded to this call. No mission agencies would send her there or support her. Not deterred, she decided to still follow the call of God to Africa to go by herself. She lived among the nationals in the hiddenness of the desert there for 40 years. There in the desert, Trotter knew what it was like to be stripped from every distraction. Can you imagine what that must be like? Can you imagine your life stripped from every distraction? to focus upon the face of Jesus. She had laid her life down for that one purpose. While there, she wrote the poem that later inspired the song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. This is just a little bit of the poem that she wrote. It was in a little wood, and she writes it in kind of older English, but basically she's in the woods. She says, it was in a little wood early in the morning. The sun was climbing behind a steep cliff in the east, and its light was flooding nearer and nearer, and then making pools among the trees. Suddenly, from a dark corner of purple-brown stems and tawny moss, there shone out a great golden star. It was just a dandelion and half-withered, but it was full face to the sun, and had caught into its heart all the glory it could hold. It was shining so radiantly that the dew that lay on it still made a perfect aureole around its head. You get that picture of that little dandelion, full face into the sun, and how that in the midst of all of the woods, this little golden star, and from that, she wrote this, uh, the, this other gal wrote the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Are we doing that? Is our life reflecting that? Do people see that in our life and say, that person has a shrey. They reflect the glory of God in the midst of a difficult life in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of disappointing relationships, they reflect the glory of God. That's what we want. We need to stop shining the light of our affection on the things of this life and start reflecting the light of his glory. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Matthew 6 says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we need to be doing. It's easy to focus on the things of this life. It's easy to confuse prosperity with flourishing. It's easy to be deceived. But we need to focus on our Savior and not our circumstances. So for our questions today... I would ask, in what areas of my life am I focused on my circumstances 
instead of the Savior? In what areas of my life am I focused on my circumstances instead of the Savior? And then secondly, and this is really, really important, what sins do I need to confess to Jesus and to others? Because the reality is sin prevents flourishing. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop deflecting. It's time to be completely transparent and have the liberating confession that God desires us to do. So as we think about turning our attention to God, every week we do communion. And we're going to do that now. But as we do that, what I want to do is I'll have you come up and take the elements and go back to your seat. I want you to pray over these two questions. And then I'll close that time and we'll take the elements together. So at this point, if you're a believer this morning, Come forward, get the elements, and then go back and spend some time in prayer. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.